there are some songs that uh, just get me going, and that's one of them. I just love that refrain, all glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing, all glory be to Christ. And certain times of the year, certain life circumstances cause us to sing that with fresh fervor. And I think as we pass from one year to the next to think, is this the year that Christ returns? Is this the year when Christ comes back? Is this, is this it? When we will be with him, what a wonderful thing that would be. If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to open it to Matthew 28, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Very familiar passage, which we've looked at often the past few years, the Great Commission. If you found your way there, it's page 835 in the Bible there in the row for you. Just a quick advertisement for next week as we go to our new service schedule. And Sunday School follows the morning service. Uh, we'll have a special presentation next week. Max Litweiler has the opportunity to go on a mission trip over spring break uh, with his uh, church that he attends while at school. And uh, so come next week, you'll hear about the trip and ways for pray to pray for Max as he looks forward to, uh, to traveling over spring break. So we'll hear about that next week uh, during Sunday school. If you found your way to Matthew 28, let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to come and to sing together to reflect on Jesus' death, burial, His resurrection, the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, that we would live our lives as we've sung, that all glory would be to Christ, that You would be all to us, that You would occupy our lowly hearts, Lord. Now as we come to Your Word, may Your Word work in us through the power of Your Spirit to... Reveal sin, Lord, to help us pursue Christ-likeness, and Lord, ultimately to help us grow to be more like Jesus. Lord, that we would set our hearts on you through the study of your word. We love you and we pray in Christ's name, amen. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. New Year's is a time to reflect. We've already mentioned that this morning, to refocus. There's nothing more special about this time of year. You could do this like June 30th into July 1st, if you wanted to. You could do it, you know, April 3rd into April 4th to pick a date and to say, okay, let's start something new. Let's reflect. But this time of year is, it sets itself up for that as we go from one year to the next, right? The rhythms in life are helpful for us. God used rhythms in the life of Israel to focus their worship. All the festivals and feasts, which what they would come to Jerusalem and different times of the year for different things to reflect upon God and who He is and, and their worship of Him. But as we end one year and look forward to another, it's a great opportunity for us as a church, 
but also as individuals to assess where we are at. To look at our walk with Christ as a church and as individuals. Now, if you're like me, you are not prone to assessing yourself, right? Some people generally are good at assessing themselves, their thoughts, their motives. Why am I doing this? How can I do better? So on and so forth. That is not me. <laughs> that, that is not me at all. I'm a, well, I'm just going to keep going. It works, right? Just keep going. Um, no big deal. It really wasn't until probably three or four years ago when we were at our previous ministry and our pastor there, Pastor Sam, really challenged me in self-assessment. He uses that phrase a lot. Where are you at in your walk with Christ? Why do you do what you do? Now, I've done that from time to time, from certain circumstances to another circumstance, but not on a regular pattern, not on a daily basis. Why am I doing what I'm doing? How am I doing at what I'm supposed to be doing? If you have a job and you report to someone, often you have a performance review. And to some of you, you dread that. Some of you, how you're wired, you love that. How can I do better? How can I improve? Right? What are goals that you have for yourself? And not that we take the corporate world and we cram it into the church, but there is value to that. Of taking a moment to stop and to pause and to think, how am I doing at being a Christian? How am I doing at following Jesus Christ? That is a good and proper question to ask yourself. Not in a sense of, I got to do better to earn God's love more. No. I got to do better so I get more heavenly blessings as a raise this year. No. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, to stop and to think, God, asking God, reflecting, how am I doing? What are areas of growth? What are things that I can pursue? What are areas I need to put off in my walk with Christ? It is good, right, and proper for us to do this. And the Great Commission is a great place to start for us. It's a great reminder for us. It gives a, a simple template for us to ask these questions. And as we've said before, our purpose, our goal as a church is to make disciples for the glory of God. Yes, that's true in corporately as a church, but it's also our goal individually. As a disciple, you are to be one who makes disciples as we seek to follow Christ for his glory. A simple big idea this morning from the Great Commission here and a way in which we are going to look this morning at this passage is this, is that making disciples for the glory of God involves going with the gospel and growing in the gospel. Making disciples for the glory of God involves going with the gospel and growing in the gospel. And as we look here at these verses, which most of you could probably quote, I know this is nothing new, life-changing, but I love a quote that an author once said, it's not the things in the Bible I don't understand that frustrate me, it's the things in the Bible that I do understand. <laughs> the simple truths that we need to come back to again and again and remind ourselves of. As we look here at the end of Matthew's Gospel at the Great Commission, we see this overall command to make disciples. Jesus is giving this to his disciples. 
This is the very end of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has walked with the disciples. He's gone through the Passion Week. He's been crucified. He's been laid in the tomb. He's been resurrected. He's met with his disciples now. And this is his final command to them. Verse 18, to the 11 disciples. And he says, I am giving you authority. I'm giving you authority to go, verse 19. Therefore, and make disciples. Making disciples is the main verb. It's the main command in this section. Jesus is telling his disciples to make disciples. What is a disciple? A simple definition we've talked about. A disciple is a follower. Somebody who follows something. You can be a disciple of anything. You follow certain things. Certain ways of thinking. Certain ways to approach certain things. You can be a disciple of a sports team. You can be a disciple or follower of a certain uh, other public figure. You can be a disciple of a certain way to teach something. Several of you are very musically inclined and your kids are being trained that way and there are certain schools of theory in which you can be trained. And so you're a disciple in a sense of that method. Same way in bodybuilding and exercise and working out. We are a follower. A disciple is a follower. But here, as we reflect on Jesus' words, a disciple is someone who follows Jesus. A Christian is a follower of Jesus. In the gospel, we read of Jesus' own call for those who would want to follow him. What does it mean to be his disciple? He says in Mark 8, 34, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me or follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So what is involved in following Jesus as a disciple? It means denying yourself, your motivations, your desires, and following after Jesus. The idea of taking up his cross is to identify with him. That you are saying clearly and plainly, I am a follower of Jesus. Follower is one who identifies with Christ and submits his or her will to Christ's. It's saying, not my will, but your will be done. And that's where the struggle comes. Because we like to follow our own will, our own desires. And I'm not saying... Every instance of that is wrong, but at the very core, we have this battle within us of our sinful, selfish nature and the way in which we are sinfully inclined to act for self-preservation and self-promotion. And then we have, if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, the new man in which we seek to follow after Christ and to bring glory and honor to him, denying ourselves and seeking to live for him. Denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following after Jesus. Being a disciple. And here we see clearly that being a disciple means we seek to make disciples. Encourage others to follow after Christ. And what is all involved in making disciples? There are two main things here Jesus includes. The first one is a short word. And then the second one is a long or more substantive statement. So as we think of making disciples for the glory of God, it involves going and growing. 
And by the end of 2024, you're going to get tired of hearing me say that. How are you going and how are you growing? It's kind of our unofficial theme for the coming year. How are you going and how are you growing? First off, going. As we think of making disciples, it involves going. Verse 18, go therefore. So the command necessarily isn't to go, but as you are going, you make disciples. As you are going, what's all involved in going? You might think, well, do I have to go around the world? Perhaps God might be calling you into a full-time vocational ministry of sharing the gospel and seeking to establish churches. That's what a full-time missionary does. One who is specially called by God to go with the gospel, to share the gospel, and seek to establish churches, make disciples. But not everyone is called to be a missionary in that sense. Not everyone is called to go and to be a vocational missionary. Some of you have the wonderful opportunity to work at John Deere. Some of you have the wonderful opportunity to work in the agricultural field, to be a stay-at-home mom, to be a teacher, to drive a bus, to work in an office. The numerous occupations out here in our midst are all opportunities for us to go, to go with the gospel. Some people are called by God to go in a full-time sense, but all of us have this responsibility to go and make disciples of all nations, of all nations, of, of around the world and of all the communities here in this area. It is our responsibility, not only the full-time missionaries, but as a follower of Jesus Christ, we are all called to invite others to follow with us. A follower wants to get others to follow with him. Because if what you are following is so worth it, you want to invite others to follow with you. Right? You meet somebody who is enthralled with something, and that's all they can talk about. Isn't this awesome? Look at this. You should do this. You should do it this way. You need to do this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, are we doing that? Are we saying, you know what? I follow Jesus Christ. I've been saved by him from my sin. You should be too. You should follow him too. We call this evangelism. There are two aspects to disciple making. The first one is evangelism. Going with the gospel. The act of sharing the truth of the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We did our our series in Sunday school not too long ago on sharing our faith, right? Evangelism is not inviting someone to church, though that's good, invite people to church. Evangelism is not just doing good things for others, though we need to be doing good things for others. Evangelism is the actual communication of the truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to an individual with the invitation to believe in him. That's sharing the gospel. That's evangelism. That's saying, you need to follow Jesus because you're a sinner. You need to be saved from your sin. Now those other things play into that. But evangelism, sharing our faith. Jesus says, go to the disciples with the understanding that they would go. 
And if you want to see how they did go, read the book of Acts. It's what we've been walking through in Sunday school. The disciples, which became the apostles, went and they proclaimed the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They started in Jerusalem, to, to Judea, to Samaria, and then ultimately to the uttermost parts of the world. And it's amazing to see how God used their faithfulness. It is our responsibility to go with the gospel. Going with the gospel, for maybe one or two of you here, may be going to a different country. For many of us, I think going with the gospel means going across the street or going to the cubicle next to us or going to this friend, going to this neighbor. It's through relationships that we build with people and we intentionally develop them. There may be times in your life when you have an opportunity to clearly share the gospel with somebody you've never met before, but it just comes up in conversation, you're in a circumstance, and you can share, the faith, share your faith. You may never meet that person again, right? You're in an elevator. You're on an airplane. <laughs> you're having a conversation with somebody you're probably never going to meet again, and you can have the opportunity to share the gospel. But with those that you will meet repeatedly again and again, you can intentionally build a relationship with them. And I think this is where we need help. And I think this is where we need challenged. If I were to ask you today, who is the one person in your life you're intentionally building a relationship or intentionally seeking to share the gospel with? Can you give me one person's name? Do you have one person in your mind thinking, God, help me to share the gospel with this person? You might have one. You might have two or three. But I think, unfortunately, the pattern of our lives is we are so busy with things that are good. Yes, that are good and right. And we need to do that. This seems to escape our thinking. And if you're like me, if you don't plan for something, generally it doesn't happen. Sometimes the task of evangelism can seem overwhelming. Man, so many people. I don't know how to approach, right? My mom often would say, if you're overwhelmed with what you need to do, do one thing. And I think that's helpful in evangelism. You don't need to share the gospel with absolutely everybody you meet in the day, but is there one person that you have a specific relationship that will listen to you? Do you have one person that you are seeking to intentionally invest in their lives, to build a relationship so they trust you, so you have the opportunity to share the gospel with them. This could be a coworker, like I mentioned, a neighbor, a family member, parents with your children. Parents, you have, have a built-in relationship to share the gospel with somebody. Your kids. And that's one that you get to know them really well <laughs> and you have plenty of opportunities. But are you intentional in that? Are you praying for opportunities and are you taking them? The question is, why don't we share more? Why don't we, we go with our faith more? I, one thing is fear, right? We don't like to be rejected. We don't like to be ridiculed. Right? We're afraid. Fear of man, that's a real thing. But remind yourself that 
when you share and they reject the gospel, ultimately they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting God. Perhaps we're distracted on other things or we have excuses we make. I think that's the category I fit into often is I'm distracted with other good things or I can easily make excuses rather than saying, you know what, no, I need to do this. Perhaps we're always waiting for the perfect opportunity and good opportunities are passing us by while we wait for the perfect one. Or maybe, and I've been challenged with this, maybe because we don't share, maybe we don't share the gospel because we don't love Jesus as much as we think we do. And I've been challenged with this. If I really love Jesus as much as I think I do, wouldn't I talk about him more? Wouldn't I want to share him with others more? Wouldn't my conversation turn to him more often? As we seek to go with the gospel, this doesn't mean that every conversation and relationship is focused solely on this idea. No, but rather, what is our desire? Do we have the desire to share our faith in our daily interactions with others? How can we do this better? We can pray for boldness. Paul does. Paul says in in Colossians, pray for me that I would have boldness to speak as I ought to speak. If Paul needs boldness, you and I need boldness. Some of you are wired through God's gifting to more naturally share the gospel. I I think of Tom. I love hearing all the people that he interacts with at John Deere that he has had gospel conversations with. Some of you, other of you say, well, this person, right? I think of Marsh and all the folks she meets at, at Quick Trip. Or Quick Star, sorry. <laughs> Not in Minnesota. Some of you are just inclined that way. Others of us, we need to be drawn out more. So praying for boldness. Praying for one person. Praying for an opportunity. Praying for you where you're at in your stage of life. Mom with little kids. <laughs> We've had sickness in our house this week. I was talking to Carrie this morning. She goes, I feel like I've done nothing this week. And I'm like, you've been a mom this week. <laughs> You've done something only you can do. Because when the kids get sick, they don't run to dad. <laughs> but even at a stage in life of parents with young kids, are you investing the gospel in your kids, praying for opportunities? Just being open and willing. Pray for boldness. Remember that as you share the gospel, you yourself don't need to save people. You can't save people. But Jesus saves people. And I love the promise when Jesus is talking to Paul about being in Corinth and Paul wants to get out of Corinth and, and, and God says to him, no, you're going to stay because I have many in this city who are going to believe. God has promised that people will believe. So share the gospel because God's going to save somebody. <laughs> share the gospel. God will save. Start a prayer list for people Pray for God to bring you opportunities. Enlist someone to keep you accountable, to pray with you for a person. How can you go with the gospel in 2024? Who can you go to? Perhaps you have someone in mind. Perhaps you need to pray for an opportunity. The point is, are you being intentional in sharing your faith? May we go with the gospel in 2024.
So as we go, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations, we baptize and we teach in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So not only do we share our faith as we make disciples, but we help people grow, growing with the Gospels, our second point. This is what we would call sanctification. A disciple is one who shares their faith, but also encourages others to grow, and who is themselves growing. The Gospel saves us, but it also grows us. I love these words from Paul in Titus chapter 2. Listen to this, Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And what does the grace of God do? It brings salvation, but it also trains us. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Basically, Paul is saying to Titus, the gospel saves us, but the gospel also trains or disciplines and grows us to grow in Christ's likeness, to put off ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. We go with the gospel. We need to grow in the gospel. Grow in the gospel. The grace of God trains us. It teaches us. It disciplines us to live a godly life. Well, how does, it, how does this do this? Well, the gospel reveals our own sin nature, and it shows us our need for a Savior. But then the gospel also reminds us of our need to put on Christ's likeness and to, to live out our faith to focus our eyes on Christ and what he's accomplished for us and therefore how he calls us to live. As we begin the letter to the Colossians next week, I'm excited because the first part is all about exalting Jesus. And the second half of the book is all about, okay, what does that look like in our lives? This is what the gospel does. It's not just a, well, you're saved and that's it. No, it's a saved and so... How are we to now live? But there are some practical steps here in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We go and we make disciples. We baptize. Baptism. That word literally means to immerse. It's a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Of being immersed in water as Jesus was laid in the grave and then brought back up as Jesus was raised from the dead. It's this action, it's this ordinance or command given by Jesus to the church that if you are a follower of Jesus and proclaim Christ as your Savior, that you would publicly identify yourself with him through baptism. What does baptism do for you? Does it save you? No. But if somebody who is truly a follower of Jesus Christ wants to make faith, their faith known, their first step is baptism. It's a public declaration of your faith. Now, in our context today, someone being baptized, whether in a gospel preaching church or a broader uh, Christian sense, is not that out of the ordinary, right? 
But in the context of which Jesus is speaking in the first century, that would be huge. That public identification would often bring along with it disownment by their family and community. That they would be cast aside and that they would be forgotten in a sense. They would be, be put on the outside. It can be that way for some of us today who've grown up in other traditions of Christianity. I remember when I trusted Christ in high school, growing up in a Lutheran tradition where I was baptized as an infant, going to my parents and asking to be baptized as an adult, following my salvation. There were some questions. Even now, from extended aunts and uncles and grandma and grandpa, when we have kids, are you going to baptize your children? No. We don't believe that's what Scripture teaches. Baptism follows salvation. And here, baptism is this public identification with Jesus. Perhaps in 2024, the step you need to take in growing in the gospel is publicly identifying yourself with Christ. There are some of you here who've been coming for a long time and you have not been baptized. Young and old, would you be bold in following Christ and being baptized this year? First step of public identification and obedience to Christ and his word. With that comes teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This idea of teaching and the subsequent learning. If you're teaching someone, hopefully they're learning something, right? So as you grow in the gospel, you are learning about what Jesus has commanded them. Now Jesus is speaking here to the disciples about what he has taught them. So in the specific context, he's teaching about the words that have been communicated. And as we take a step back and we look at the truth and we look at the rest of the New Testament, we understand that that teaching involves understanding the Word of God. If we want to know Christ more and grow in the gospel, we will know His Word more. In fact, it's the main avenue in which God teaches us and grows us. To be more like Jesus is through his word. And we neglect his word to our own expense and perhaps to a sinful neglect. Are you in God's word? Are you in it seeking to learn more about God? It's not just something you check off, though that's a good pattern to get into a good discipline to instill in your lives, but is it something that you long for, that you delight in, that, as the psalmist says, it's sweeter than honey and it's more valuable than gold? It doesn't necessarily start out that way all the time because we need to grow in it. I've talked about coffee and acquiring a taste for coffee. I've recently acquired a taste for hot sauce. I don't know why. I think it's because I was eating a breakfast burrito and somebody's like, you want some hot sauce with that? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? It's like, that tastes pretty good. Then I realized I had a bottle of hot sauce in the pantry that I got somewhere, so I put it on my breakfast sandwiches in the morning. Ah, that tastes pretty good. And now it's like, you know what this could use? Some hot sauce. <laughs> so I drink my coffee and my hot sauce on my breakfast sandwich. It's something that's been acquired, and I grow in it. And now it's like, hmm, I'm desiring it. Same thing with God's word. Some parts of it are hard to understand. Some parts are very easy to understand. But the goal is to be in the Word, to learn more about the living Word. 
about Jesus, growing to know more about him. And, and in that, we, we revel in the gospel. And we realize how sinful we are, but as we realize how sinful we are, we realize how gracious and merciful God is. And it causes us to worship him all the more. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 talks about the word of God and the necessity of it. It's given by God, right? It's breathed out and it's profitable for reproof, for correction, for teaching and for training in righteousness that the man of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God completes us in our Christian life. It helps us to grow, to live out our faith. Equipped for every good work. Not that we would be puffed up with the knowledge of it, but that we would grow because through God's word, we learn more about God. We see God's love more greatly displayed in our lives and it grows our desire to live for him. This is sanctification, right? Putting off of sin, renewing our thinking, putting on Christ-likeness, being set apart, becoming more like Jesus. That's growing in the gospel. Sometimes it's very public, punctiliar events like baptism. Another one is church membership, of willingly submitting yourself to the authority of a local church and a local church welcoming you in and saying, yes, we affirm your public declaration of faith and we want to help keep you accountable and serve with you. Some of you here, I would encourage and challenge you to Think about church membership. Some aspects of growing in the gospel are small. It's husbands taking the lead of saying, hey, honey, let's pray before we go to bed tonight. It's moms and dads saying to the kids, hey, let's, let's take a few minutes after supper and read a psalm. Those things that not everyone's going to see, but yet God is calling us to grow in. It might be in your own heart, in your own thought life of putting away impure thoughts, right? of seeking help, of being humble and transparent enough to ask for help in, in areas of your life in which you need to grow. Some will be very public steps of obedience and some, it may just be between you and the Lord. Are you putting yourself in positions to hear from the word of God, to take these next step. Come to church, come to Sunday school, come to Sunday nights, come to care groups, meet with other members of your church, of our church to talk about the word, to encourage others, to share with others how you are growing in the gospel, how God is showing himself faithful to you, how you love Jesus and how Jesus is so lovely. For it is through the written word, through the teaching of the word, through the sharing of the word together that we enjoy the living word all the more. Growing in the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, Paul bids the believers in Corinth to inspect themselves to see if they are in the faith. Inspect themselves to see if they are in the faith. It's a proper and right thing to, to do. Do our lives match what we say we believe? Do we love Jesus as much as we think we do? Or are we deceived? Do we have areas in which we need to grow? Things we need to put off? Sinful attitudes and desires 
Do we need to change our thinking through the help of God's word and his spirit towards different aspects of our life? And, and what fruits of the spirit, what attributes of Christ's likeness do we need to put on? What steps of faith do we need to take? And it looks different for all of us. For all of us are at different points in our Christian walk. Some of you are big things. Some of you are just small, faithful things. Are you growing in the gospel? And are we going in the gospel? As we think of all these things, look at the encouragement that we have at the end of verse 20, Matthew 28. Jesus says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with us. As we seek to live our life for Christ, he doesn't leave us on our own. Paul says in Philippians, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to do and to will for his good pleasure. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. God's grace is with us. As we have trusted Christ as our Savior, He indwells us with His Holy Spirit. He's given us His Word. He's given us other believers to faithfully follow Him. My prayer for us as individuals and as a church that in 2024 we can go with the gospel and grow in the gospel. That we would seek to faithfully share our faith and that we ourselves would seek to see the gospel applied to our lives in which we are humbled again and again, but we rejoice more and more in who Jesus is and what he's done, and we display him more through our lives. I read a, a prayer this morning from a little book entitled The Valley of Vision. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. And perhaps my, my favorite prayer in there is, it's called God's Cause. And it's for those in service and ministry, but it's for really for any believer. And the summary of that prayer is that all that we say, all that we do, would be for God's purposes. Why? Because we are nothing without Him. So as we go and as we grow, may we incline our hearts to God and say, Lord, it's not about me, but it's about you. It is your cause. It is your purpose. It is your motivation, Lord. Use me as you would, for I am yours. And we do this with the hope and the expectation that one day we will be with him. And as we've sung, in all glory be to Christ, behold our God shall live with us. We shall ere his people be. We will always be his people. So may we be his people now, going and growing in the gospel. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the encouragement and the challenge, Lord, even to my own heart. Lord, help us as men and women, as fathers and mothers, as husbands and wives, as friends, neighbors, co-workers, Lord, that we would desire to know you more and in knowing you more, proclaim you through our lives. Lord, help us to humbly follow you in 2024 and beyond. We pray in Christ's name.